I want to look at Luke chapter 14, and only you, only you can decide if the title of this sermon needs to be changed. The title of the sermon is The Church of the Closed Door. But I would submit to you that if we are the church, we are to be the church of the open door. But there are a lot of churches that are the church of the closed door. In fact, that's what Jesus showed up and met the people of Israel. They had a closed mind about anybody that wasn't like them. And yet Jesus had begun his ministry in Luke chapter 5 saying he had come to preach the gospel to the poor. He had come to set the captives free and to rescue the captives and recover sight to the blind. Jesus never saw anybody that he didn't believe that if they followed him, he would make a difference in their life. That he could do life change in anybody, in any situation. Now, the scribes and Pharisees were just the opposite. They looked at people and they always said, and this has been a theme through the parables in Luke's gospel, they always said, I'm glad I'm not a sinner like them. I'm glad I'm better than them. I'm glad I don't have that kind of life. I'm glad that God loves me more than them. That was the attitude of the scribes and Pharisees. But when Jesus sat down with people, here's what I think he thought. Who else could we have invited? Who could sit at this table with us that would never get an invitation otherwise? And so he proclaimed in Luke 5, now he's living out in Luke 14, that he came to set captives free. And we are surrounded by people who are in captivity to sin and to lostness. They're blinded by the enemy that they need the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we, have, we have people that, you know, they love a lot of things more than they love people. Uh, I was talking to Warren Wearsby one day about it, and, and I asked him, this is early on in our relationship, and I asked him, I said, do you have any pets? He said, no, we don't have any pets. This is what he said. I'm concerned that people stop treating animals like people and people like animals. <laughs> so I wrote that down. <laughs> I thought, that's pretty good. You know, you know, it's easy to think that something that won't go to heaven is more important than someone who will go to heaven or to hell. And we start to love something or someone more than the lost people that Jesus died to save. And we can become the Pharisees. I mean, we can really become the Pharisees. I, one of my favorite preachers, uh, I had a chance in a restaurant one time. It was at the Beacon Restaurant in Spartanburg, South Carolina. One of my favorite preachers was E.V. Hill. He was a pastor in Los Angeles, one of the most famous African-American preachers of the 20th century. And the man could preach the stars down. I love to listen to E.V. Hill's sermons. Uh, he preached his wife's funeral, which is absolutely one of the most powerful messages I've ever heard in my life. But, but he was in the beacon eating. Now, at the beacon, you order a chili cheese aplenty. And now the chili has not been changed out in 40 years, but it's good. <laughs> they never get down to the bottom of this big container. 
And then if it's in a plenty, you get onion rings and fries. And they just reach with their hand and grab onion rings and throw them on a plate and then grab fries and throw them on a plate. And then you tell them if you want sweet tea or Coke or whatever you want to drink. So uh, I was in there eating after a, a conference and E.B. Hill was sitting by himself eating. And I walked over to him and I started talking to him. And I, it just, I said, can I do anything for you? And he looked at me and he said, son, you could get me some more onion rings. <laughs> and, and I mean, the onion rings were stacked like this. He said, you could get me some more onion rings and a sweet tea. And I, I loved serving him. Well, shortly after that, I listened to him preach a message. And, and this is what he said in the message. He said, when I first came to our church in Los Angeles, he said, this is how we would introduce new members. He's, and, he, and he would get this refined tone in his voice. He said, this is Dr. So-and-so who went to Harvard University with has three degrees and one from Yale is a member of the National Honor Society, has won multiple awards in their field, and we are privileged to have them as a member. He said the first one they did that, I stood up and said, nah uh 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 That's not what we're doing in this church. He said, here's what we're going to say. This person was a sorry sinner that deserved to go to hell. There was nothing about them that was any good. That degree's not going to buy them one moment of peace. That's not going to get them satisfied. They needed Jesus, and they come here begging Jesus to save them. And on that basis, we receive them. Now, I like the second one better. <laughs> None of us come before God with our degrees or our pedigrees or our pedicure. None of us. We come before God in need. So Luke 14, there's a meal going on. There's a setting of the parable that I want you to see because you've got the haves and the have-nots here. Luke 14, verse 12, And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. In other words, you do it for me, I'll do it for you. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, Jesus, said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I've married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. 
Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, None of these men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Well-known rabbis, and Jesus was a well-known rabbi at the time, that's what they considered him, were often invited to dinners with Pharisees and scribes and often invited to teach. And social status was a big deal. It was like who you know and where they sit was all significant. The custom of the day was to send out an invitation maybe a month in advance and say, we have a dinner, you know, it's a reserve the date. We have this big dinner planned, and we want you to come. And so they would get a general invitation, reserve the date. But then on the day of the dinner, a, a servant, a slave, would go to the house of the invited guest and say to them, the dinner's going to be ready tonight. This is the day you come. Now, when you sent out the first invitation, you expected an answer. It was an RSVP. It was, a, it was an invitation. But it was turned down, and then other people got invited. Excuses ruled this day. Do you realize that, that the Bible is full of invitations? God is always calling us to come. Come to him. Come into his presence. God is inviting us to come. God issues invitations, and he wants a response from us. But I, I'm, I, I want you to see this parable. I'm not making this up, but I'm going to apply it to 2019. Jesus is saying by this man who got mad and said, you, well, you go out into the highways and hedges. And they said, well, there's still room. He said, well, go out and get anybody. Just grab people and bring them. Jesus is saying, invite people to your house for dinner who cannot get into your community without somebody calling the cops. Uh, yes, what's your problem? Uh, there's, a, there's a guy walking down our street. He doesn't look like he belongs in our neighborhood. That's who Jesus said to invite. And see, we'll play what-if games and let that person go to hell. But what if they're ill, they got, they got a bad intent? What if this, and we'll play all those games and never think that there might be a divine appointment right there in front of us. So Jesus says, invite the poor, the poor, the helpless, the people that can't pay you back, the maimed, the crippled, people that had lost a limb, the lame, the blind, not just those blind physically, but those blind spiritually. And you will be blessed. Blessed, why? Because you did something for someone that could not repay you. Luke's gospel is full of confrontations with people that had the mentality to justify themselves of being first or famous or bigger or better. But look at the lame excuses. Right off the bat, all has been done, now you can come. And every excuse is a lame excuse. Uh, 
I, I find it interesting that he said, go invite the lame because these lame excuses don't hold it with me. Every one of them made a lame excuse. And by the way, there's no indication that they ever got an invitation again to come. They had their moment to sit at the table, but they decided not to. They lost the moment. They gave reasons, which were really excuses. The first said, well, I've bought some land, and I've got to go out and inspect it. At night? They didn't know there's no electricity. I mean, you got a little lamp about this big. You got to go inspect the land at night? I mean, anybody would know that guy just doesn't want to come. The second one says, I've bought some oxen. I need to inspect them at night. Will they not still be there in the morning? And the other one says, well, I've been married, so I can't come. Most guys would have said, I've been married, I'm coming. <laughs> I've been married, I can't come. Can I tell you what the third one did? Ooh, this is going to hurt somebody. The third one said, we can't come to be with Jesus because we're practicing family time. This is our family time. The Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But I tell you what, we can find, always find time for family time. And the first thing that always gets cut in our life is church. Not going to a football game, not going to a basketball game, not going hunting, not going fishing, not going to the mall, not going camping, not going out, not partying, not going out to eat. You know, the one thing that always gets, oh, we're not, it's we eat out every Friday night. You ever been to church on Sunday night? No, that's our family time. Can I describe family time? We have cameras in all your homes. <laughs> Can I describe family time? One of your kids is on an iPad or a game system. He's looking down. He doesn't hear a word you say. One of them's playing with dolls. Mom's in the kitchen cooking, and the dad's yelling at the TV because the ref made a bad call, and he doesn't like instant replay. And you're not spending time together. You're all in separate areas doing separate things. And meanwhile, God is saying, I want to invite you to come to the table. I want to invite you to come to the table. Come and find that the Lord is good. Taste and see that, that God is good. And, and they're making these mistakes. Now, it's important. The reason I point this out is because Jesus follows this parable in Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus said, here's the biblical perspective on family. You better love me more than you love your family. You better love me more than your own life. Jesus does not say, don't love your family. Jesus does not say, don't love your children. Jesus is saying, you better worship me first and foremost. Don't worship your kids. Don't worship your family time. Don't worship your job. It, it will all let you down. And by the way, God can do a better job of raising your kids than you can. And especially if you're not being the spiritual leader in your home, at least give us a chance to be. If you're not leading your family spiritually, then give us a chance 
to do something so that we can reach the next generation for Christ. All of these made excuses. My business, my possessions, my family. Uh, you ever thought about the lame excuses make people make for things? They're invited to this banquet. I hadn't heard an original excuse in 40 years. Are your excuses important enough to keep you from being at the table with Jesus? The point of the master's anger is, if you weren't planning on coming, why did you say you would come in the first place? I mean, you know, I, I've never joined an organization to not be a part of it. <laughs> Just think about it. I mean, why would you join the Rotary Club and then not go to the Rotary Club meetings? Well, it looks good on my resume. Well, why would you join the Exchange Club and not go to the Exchange Club meetings? Whatever club it is, why, why would you join that and never go to the meetings? Why would you buy season tickets and never go to the game? Why would you join a church and not say, I'm going to be all in? Because Jesus is all in for us. He, he came to preach the gospel to set captives free. And a lot of us are captivated by misplaced priorities. And we, we say, I'll come unless I get a better offer. I'll come if it doesn't inconvenience me. And immediately these people said, we can't come. So the excluded now are invited. All this expense and effort and energy has been given. The people that were originally invited say they can't come. And now the excluded are invited. John 1.11, Jesus said, he came into his own and his own received him not. Three things. First of all, the son of God was rejected by Israel who should have known who he was. They should have recognized him. Secondly, when the Jews rejected him, he opened up the door to the Gentiles, and the Jews in the first century hated Gentiles. That's us. The world is invited to come, and we were invited to come. The servants made the effort. He went to the original party list, and they turned him down, and so he kept going and kept inviting. Listen, we are servants of the king we are to go and to invite and to compel people. Sometimes we have to go again and again and again. Sometimes we have to go and find someone else who says, go out into the streets and bring them here. We are compelled to go. It is a picture of a church focused on the Great Commission. <clears throat> when we do refresh, this is the number one common thing I hear from pastors and now with almost 40 refresh conferences and from Alaska to Boston I can tell you the number one thing I hear from pastors number one you want to know why America's in the shape it's in it's because the churches are in the shape they're in that's why quit blaming the government happened on our watch judgment begins at the house of God that's what the Bible says number one statement of pastors Man, they called me to this church and things were going great, but then we've got a lot of new people. we got some people being saved and the old crowd didn't like it and they want me to leave. That's the us four and no more church. By the way, I don't believe people that think that way are genuinely saved. I think they are full of dead man's religion and they think they're going to get in heaven because they think they're better than everybody else. If you can't welcome the whosoever wills, then I would ask you to question whether you've ever been welcomed into the family of God and received that welcome personally. 
Number one complaint, they don't like all these new people coming in. They get, they're uncomfortable. The church is God's house. He invites us to come. Can I tell you, God is in the rescue business, not the entertainment business. God is in the rescue business, not the entertainment business. And by the way, we don't issue subpoenas. We issue invitations. The message of this parable applies to the lost and it applies to us. All things are now ready. The work of Christ has been done. His invitation is free. You can come. There's, there's nothing wrong with the busyness of our lives unless we get too busy to come or too busy to invite. Jesus said, go out and get anyone you can and invite them in. Fill up the empty seats. We invite people into the kingdom. It's a good crowd this morning, but they're empty seats. Jesus says, go out and invite them. Fill those empty seats up. Fill them up. There's room. Fill the empty seats up. Can, can I tell you, when you invite somebody, they don't have to get their act together to be invited. They don't have to get their act together to be invited. Well, you know, I just, I don't have the right clothes, or I don't have this, or I don't have that. They don't have to get it together to be invited. Every one of you were a baby at some point, and you messed all over yourself. And your parents never said, you're going to have to get it together before you can stay in this house. <laughs> oh, bless your heart. Pick it up, clean, put the diaper back on. Why? Because you love that kid. You don't have to have the proper etiquette to be invited. Uh, we, we, we don't stand during this time. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't sit, we don't stand, we don't clap, we don't smile. We don't say hi to anybody. We come from our car, we go to our seat, we go back to our car. And pray to God we don't have to talk to anybody. You, you don't have to have the proper etiquette. Listen, etiquette is fine, but if, if you're letting etiquette stand in the way of somebody know Jesus, you, could t you can tell them about etiquette later. But don't let that stand in the way of somebody that needs Jesus. That doesn't know. Well, I was raised in church and this way you're supposed to. Well, get over getting raised in church and get on with getting in love with Jesus. You don't have to have special status to be invited. I remember our first block party. One, one of the ladies walked up to the block party, said to Terry, we were standing right out here by the fountain, and, and said to Terry, said, uh, uh, what do I have to wear to come to your church? Wear what you got on. No, I couldn't do that. Second question. How, what are the dues? What kind of dues do I have to pay so I can come to your church? So you see that playground right there? That's free. You can bring kids to play on it anytime. See that playground inside that source cafe? That's free. You can play on it anytime. You know that every day there are people that are not members of Sherwood Church that play on those playgrounds every day every day we don't have anybody we have a guard out there 
Christian? Social security number? Uh, we're going to need to do a background check on this four-year-old. God invites the least of the lost for us to fill the seats. The master kept sending out the servant until all the seats were filled. Look at who, look at who came. The poor with their heads bowed. The poor with their heads bowed. Listen, folks, don't look down on poor people. He made a lot of them. And you could be them. The lame leaning on their crutches. Republicans, sinners, heathen, finding their way to the table. Now, I know this is a line from a Broadway play, but when you grow up in a home with a wife that's taught theater and a daughter that's majored in theater, which means she can be poor anywhere she wants to live. Uh, uh, when you've gone to as many Broadway plays as I've gone to, well, first, we went to see Cats, not C-A-T-T. -T. We went to see Cats in London about 20 years ago. And, it, you know, it's the whole, anyway. It's the Andrew Lloyd Webber thing. And so we got through, and, and uh, Aaron and Haley looked at me and said, Dad, what was your favorite part? I said, the finale. <laughs> he said, you mean the song? I said, no, when it was over. That was my favorite part. Here's a line from a Broadway play, but it is gospel true. God loves the outcast. God loves the outcast. That baby that's been given up, God loves that baby. That woman whose husband has walked away from her, God loves that woman. That prodigal that's in the pig pen and smells bad, that has a dad or a mom that says, until you clean up, you can't come home, God loves that prodigal. That person that we've given up on, God loves them. That person that we think is too far gone, or some of us, our theology has made us decide that they can't be saved, God loves them. I've had the chance twice to preach at Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. If you ever get a chance to go to New York, skip a Broadway show, but make sure you go to Brooklyn Tabernacle. Get there early because you won't find a seat. They fill it up three times, 3,900 people, three times on Sunday morning. They'll have 2,000 people back at prayer meeting on Tuesday night. One of the most phenomenal churches I've ever been to. Uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle had more people that were killed on 9-11 than any other church in New York. It is a unique church. You have multimillionaires, you have Wall Street execs, you have corporate execs, and you've got converted prostitutes and converted pimps and converted transvestites and converted le lesbians and converted people that don't know what they are. 
drug addicts, drug dealers. You've got every element of society. You've got homeless people that have been discovered by a church member sleeping behind a dumpster and lead that person to Christ who smells so bad you can't hardly even get in the car with them. The reason Brooklyn Tab has had the influence that it's had is because they've taken seriously whosoever will may come. First time we visited, I sat by a young lady who had been invited by Jim Simbola, and she was holding her baby. And she was from Jamaica. She probably hadn't had a bath in a month. You know, if I was like some preachers I know, I would have found an usher and said, could we sit somewhere? Her, her odor is a little offensive to me. But I turned and I had a conversation with her. How'd you get here? I was walking down the street with my baby and Pastor Simbla saw me and he said, young lady, he said, could I invite you to come to the Brooklyn Tab? And that day she gave her heart to Jesus. Now, was it worth sitting by someone that needed a bath and didn't have a place to take one? Was it worth it to my nostrils for God to save that girl in that service? Or would I have been the self-righteous Pharisee that thought she needs to go somewhere else and get her act together before she comes? I've met people there that were cross-dressers that got saved. I've met people there that were transgender that came to Christ. And God set them free from all the things that they were looking for identity in that they couldn't find it. I met people that were drug addicts, heroin addicts, cocaine addicts, meth addicts that had been gloriously saved by Jesus Christ. And you see the change in their life. And I always ask myself the question when I'm there, what if there hadn't been a church that said, you can come? You can come. Come and magnify the Lord with me. Oh, I'm not worthy to come. Neither am I. I don't come in the worthiness of who I am. I come in the worthiness of who Jesus is. Well, I don't have the right clothes. Neither did I, but I am clothed in the righteousness of God. Well, I've got sin that... I just don't know if God would forgive. I've got sin that I didn't know if God would forgive mine. But he did. And he will forgive yours. So people delivered from sin who delight in the Savior. Sometimes I would just like to be a volunteer in a church like that. And just watch God use everyday people from the dregs of society to the tops of the tallest buildings to say why don't you come and let me show you the difference that Jesus can make in your life so here's my question if we're the church of the closed door which means we'll one day die or if we are the church of the open door Will we be the church in Southwest Georgia 
It goes out to fill these seats with the least and the lost. I want to just leave that up there for a minute. And I want to tell you, if you're here today and you think God doesn't love you, you are so wrong. God loves you. And you've made a mess of your life, but God can clean it up in an instant. He can change you in a moment. But you've got to give your heart to him. You've got to accept the invitation to come and give your heart to Jesus. And if you're here today and there are empty seats around you, you need to ask yourself, who do I need to invite? Who do I need to talk to? And I listen, I've got people in this town that I've been working on for years. Years. And it's tough for them to get past the fact that they'd have to come listen to me preach. But we go into the highways and the hedges. We go into areas that people don't want to go into. Can I let you in on a little secret? Jesus always goes, always goes where other people don't want to go. And Jesus' people go where other people don't want to go. Jesus goes where religious people won't go. He goes where the lost who need a Savior can find hope. That's where he goes. Listen, the answer to Albany, Georgia, the answer to Southwest Georgia is Jesus. It's not complicated. You want our town to change? Oh, we pray for businesses. I pray for businesses to move in. I pray for godly leadership. I pray for a lot of things. But I'll tell you, you want our town to change? Reach a lot of people for Jesus. You want our schools to be better? Reach a lot of people for Jesus. You want our jails not to have as many people in them? Reach a lot of people for Jesus. Hey, all has been prepared. The time has come. Invite them to come in.